Well, good evening, everybody. It is wonderful to be back. We apologize for not having uh, monsoon rains for you tonight, uh, but we are so glad you're here. Uh, so glad you're watching via live stream. I wanted to keep up the menu for those of you guys that are watching live stream. You just don't. What kind of dinner was that tonight? Was that an amazing dinner? So um, just some great stuff here. So you may want to join us. Or if you show up at around 9 o'clock, all the leftovers get put out. So if you just want to come over after that, that would be good. So anyway, I want to tell you about this. We have, typically at every Alpha, we have what we call the Alpha Weekend. It's a continuation of the class. And it's happening Friday, May 7th, Saturday, May 8th. We would love for you to come if you can. We'll live stream it as well. But this is not something we just decided to add on because you guys are such an awesome class, which you are, an awesome class. But it's really the only way we can try to fit in more of the Alpha course. So if you'd like to come, we would love for you to come Friday night, May 7th. Dinner will be at 6.30. It'll look like a Tuesday night, um, but it'll be a Friday night. And then Saturday morning, Pete Shefferstein, Chef Pete, puts together this breakfast that would put Shoney's out of business. I mean, it is an amazing breakfast, and you don't want to miss that so we'll start saturday um at 8 30 so if, if you can be a part of that please join us and it will go so 6 30 then then saturday will go till right around noon so we would love for you to come and be a part of that invite folks to come if they haven't been a part of this we'd love for them to be here we're excited to have a first timer a couple of first timers here tonight so welcome to those of you who have not been able to be here um so uh, tonight we are talking on the topic, we're in session five, why and how do I pray? And this is just, let me just say, this is an introduction. We'll be scratching the surface of the surface tonight. There have been thousands of books written on the topic of prayer. But you know, if you, if you think about prayer, and, and many of us don't, you know, there's lots of things that we do in life, kind of religious. There's some things that we do, whether... We, we go to church, uh, or we don't, but, you know, we, there's still that tinge of guilt, if you don't, for those of us who grew up going to church. Um, and, um, and, but this thing about the Bible, this thing about, about prayer is something that, though we've prayed a lot, because we haven't necessarily known what the Bible tells us, the Bible is really our manual to teach us how to pray. And what is prayer? But I mean, I think prayer is a word that's kind of been, been, been pulled upside down and just had all the meaning shaken out of it. So hopefully tonight we'll have a deeper sense of what prayer is from God's perspective. And so we're going to look at that. But if prayer is anything, prayer is communication. And, you know, uh, life is about communication. There's an interesting article that was written a while back, several articles that were written about, a while back about how communication has evolved through the years. And um, actually, in the, the New York Times was written just a, a short while ago. It says, having dug to a depth of 10 feet last year, New York scientists found traces of copper wire dating back 100 years and came to the conclusion that their ancestors had already had a telephone system, a telephone network that dated back more than 100 years ago. But not to be outdone by the New Yorkers, in the weeks that followed, California scientists dug to a depth of about 20 feet 
And shortly thereafter, the headlines in the Los Angeles Times said, California archaeologists have found traces of copper wire 200 years old and have concluded that their ancestors already had a telephone network dated back 200 years earlier, or 100 years earlier than the New Yorkers. Well, one week later, interestingly enough, the Daily Advertiser, a newspaper of, in Bunky, Louisiana, reported the following. After digging to a depth of 30 feet in the rice fields near Fork Island, Boudreaux, a self-taught archaeologist, reported he had found absolutely nothing. Boudreaux has therefore concluded that at least 300 years ago, Louisiana had already gone totally wireless. And so, and, and, and is that not just like the state of Louisiana? I know if we're wireless, in many ways we are clueless. But, so tonight as we talk about, the, about prayer, here's the good news. Uh, communication with God is always wireless, and reception is available anywhere in the world. So first, what is, what is prayer not? Prayer is not, let's make a deal. Uh, prayer is not, God, I'll give you t 10 of these if you'll give me one of those. Um, prayer is not my thinking of things I can do to get God to give me the things I want and, the, and not give me the things I don't want. Um, that's meology. That's a BVM currency. That's transactional, not relational. It's you put your, put your money on the counter, you get the item you came to get, and then you leave. That's not biblical prayer. Now, but let me say this. You know, before God kindly opened my eyes to how much he loved me and, uh, and revealed to me that I needed a savior, I didn't need a life coach, I didn't need to be improved, I needed a new life. You know, it's interesting that I would pray prayers and God would, I would, I would find God answer them. But this is what I think I realized looking back, that God answered those prayers not to give me temporary things. He gave me answers to those prayers, kind of like breadcrumbs, to lead me to himself, to let me know that he was there and that he was listening, to bring me to that place that one day I would see that I need him. I need a relationship with him. And prayer continues like we talked about last week. If you took the Bible and you just squeezed it into one word, the one word that would come out of it would be relationship. God's desire for his creation, relationship with man. And prayer is the means by which we communicate with God. Prayer is, if you think about this, prayer is the most important activity of our lives. Prayer is the most important activity of our lives. And what we do as a result of praying, maybe the second most important thing that we do in our lives, it is conversation with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all involved. And just as there are stereotypes to keep us outside the pages of the Bible, there are stereotypes of prayer that keep us from communicating biblically. And biblical prayer is that which is proper, it is personal, uh, it is spontaneous, it is intimate communication with God. 
And it's the Bible, really, that is instrumental in teaching us what prayer, being with God, communicating with God is, and what prayer is not. And prayer is, is at least two-way communication. It is talking, and it is listening. And God speaks, I've found that God speaks directly to us through our senses. He speaks to us. And, and, and think about this. How many times have you sensed something? How many times has God put somebody in your life that you needed to hear exactly what they had to say? Uh, through circumstances, the circumstances that seemed to work at just the right time that brought you to where you needed to be and not to where you didn't need to be. And he, of course, he uses the Bible. I, I, I can't tell you how many times God has just led me to Scripture that has let me see the right way to go or revealed something about himself to me that I didn't know or needed to be reminded of. Prayer is our lifeline to God. And here, so here's the main why. Because he wants us to know him. You and I don't think that way religiously. We think transactionally. God is there to give me what I want and not give me what I don't want. That's what I thought, and that is the religious model of prayer. But when we look at, when we look at Scripture, we kind of see these things. He wants us to know him. Well, why does he want us to know him? What's he got? Well, here's a Scripture that we've been introduced to on several occasions, but I want us to look at it from the, from the uh, perspective of communication. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But I just want to focus on this point for a moment. For God so loved, well, what is that? If someone who loves you, they're communicating with you, correct? He loved that he gave. And if somebody gives you something, they're communicating with you. Now, if they give you something they don't want, they're communicating something that you may not, <laughs> you might not care for. But here is God saying, I'm communicating to you through the sending of my son. I'm communicating to you by giving you a gift because I love you so much. And so love speaks. Giving communicates. And so he, and he comes to us so that we can come to him. He initiates. We talked about that in week three, I believe. But God initiates. But here's what he says. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He communicates by giving us something we need. He says, learn of me. He's, he wants us to know him. We know that, that we want to know, he wants us to know that he is gentle and humble at heart. How do I know that God is gentle and humble at heart? Except I experience him, and I experience him through the scriptures, and I experience him through life's experience. So, if he's gentle and humble, how do I know that but for communication? How do I know that but for the time that I have to get to know that this God, who says he's gentle and humble, is gentle and humble? This is what prayer is. Prayer is primarily and preeminently knowing this God. And just like we get to know one another by being with one another, so it is with God. Well, let's just go through a couple of points here that are in your, in your manual. I'll be out of the manual more than I am in the manual tonight, but what else is new? Um, the Bible tells us that prayer is addressed to the Father. Now, look, I really want us to hear this because this is great news. This is great, great news. 
The Bible tells us prayer is addressed to the Father. I think we're on page 30, if I'm not mistaken. Directly to God. The Bible says, now, now, now hear me. Prayer is, Jesus says that prayer is addressed to God. That there's no bureaucracy, there are no departments, there are no lines to stand in to be able to pray. There's no level of prayer more important than another. This is what Jesus said. Now hear this, what Jesus had to say. We're going to break this, take, tear this apart a little bit. So Jesus says this. He tells his disciples, when you pray, when you pray, when you communicate with God, now this is what he says, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, what is Jesus saying? What is he not saying? He's not saying that when you pray, you have to find a room to pray in. He's not saying that you have to find a room with a door to pray in. That's not what he's saying. He's getting across a point here. If you think about being someone in a closed room with a closed door, you're thinking about something that is deeply relational and deeply intimate. This is the picture that Jesus is wanting us to get here. My father is this way. He wants you to understand. He wants to be with you. Do you see that? Go into your room. Close the door. Pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is an amazing act of intimacy. I would say that reward, the reward we're talking about here, is not necessarily the temporary thing that we, we think we want. I would say the reward is not so much the receiving of what we feel like we want or need, but a revelation of who we want and need. Because the more we get to know Him, the more we spend time with Him, the more we'll realize our need is for him more than our need is for stuff. But with him, the more we know him, the more we understand to some degree, to the level that we can, the level that he reveals, what it is about him we need to know. And what, about our, what we need to know about our circumstances that he reveals. So this dad, this father, loves being with his kids. And what we've talked about before, remember, if you're in... For those of you who are here for the first time, I apologize for these. You have no idea. What is this guy doing pulling out these cups? Okay. If, here's a challenge. If you're in Adam, God is yet to be your father. You have to be in Christ. You have to be born of God for him to be, for God to be your father. That's clearly what the scripture teaches. Again, I'm not saying that God won't answer your prayers if you're still in Adam. But if he does answer your prayers, you know why it is? He's wanting, he's wanting you to know, he's wanting me to know it's better here than it is here. I want you to know that I'm paying attention and I want you to be here. I want you to know how much I love you. And so we pray through the Son as well. This is what, this is what Paul writes to the Ephesians. For through him, Jesus, we both, that is Jews and Gentiles, have access to the Father by one Spirit. I mean, this is great news. Okay. Let me walk on a little bit of thin ice right now with some of us, particularly in our, our culture in New Orleans. The Bible never tells us to go anywhere but to the Father to pray. And look at what Jesus says, I got you access, I got you, I got you direct access 
to my dad. I didn't give you access to any other human being that used to live on the planet and now is dead and hopefully is in heaven. He has said that I have given you through what Jesus did through the cross, which becomes the bridge that's, that, that allows us to, to uh, make it past this forward, this division between God and us, he, that his cross has become the bridge to God and it's become the door to God. And so this is great news. God has called us to come all the time directly to him because of what Jesus has done. He has not asked me to make any stops with any department supervisors along the way. He has called me to go directly to him. That is amazing news. That is how deeply intimate and caring God is. There are no lines of bureaucracy for us to work our way up to to eventually get to him. Close the door. I'm here is what God says. And Jesus has made an access for those of us who are in Christ. He has made that access to us that we can have access to the Father by one spirit. And that is great news. And then Paul writes to the the young pastor Timothy, there's one God. There's one mediator between God and man. There's one way in which we go to the Father. Only one. If what the Bible says is true, there's only one. And that is Jesus Christ, our advocate. That's great news. That makes prayer so much more intimate than it is otherwise. Almighty God, who created all things, says, I want you to come to me directly. And I've made access by my son. And so we pray to the Father, the Bible says. We pray through the Son. And we pray in the Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, there's a lot of times I don't know how to pray, but look at what Paul writes to the Romans. This is so good. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps our weakness. Well, what's the weakness? We don't know what we ought to pray for. (laughs) I can just say, yep, that's me. So often. But the Spirit of God, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. When you don't know how to pray, when I don't know how to pray, Bible's teaching me that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is praying for me, interceding for me with groans that words cannot express. Man, there have been times when I've been groaning a lot. My prayers have been groans. They've been heartbroken groans. They've been frustrated groans. They've been fearful groans. They've been uncertain of circumstances, groans, but God, this is what it's it's telling me. God is for you. God is for me. He is not angry waiting for us to screw up. Jesus took care of that, and God is calling us to himself. So as I've said, prayer is for the purpose of communicating with God, which results in developing a deeper relationship with him. But prayer is not... Just dialogue with anybody, uh, not just some political survey at dinner time. I mean, imagine tonight, imagine if the President of the United States, now again, whatever your party affiliation, who cares? But if the President of the United States called you tonight, how would you feel about that? Would you excuse me for just a moment? 
hate when he does this. Yes, Mr. President. No, sir, I, I thought it was past your bedtime. Uh, uh, yes, sir. Um, you'd like to have an, an alpha course for the Supreme Court? Um, yes, sir. Well, could I, could I get back with you? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yes, have uh, Ms. Pisaki call back at any time. Yes, okay. okay. You know, it seems like every president does this to me on this night. I just don't understand. But in case that, that really wasn't the president. He, uh, but, but again, regardless of your, of your political affiliation, if the president of the United States would call, that would get your attention. You would be amazed. You'd be telling people every chance you had that the president of the United States just call me. I mean, that would be exciting. What then if God himself is calling? I mean, would, would you turn down a call from God? Uh, what if he is calling? I, I would contend that he is initiating a call to each and every one of us. The question that I had for so many years is, will you answer the phone? Will you keep letting his calls go to voicemail? Uh, will you, in fact, respond? I mean, I mean, I mean what, what would you tell a friend or a relative who asked you, what have you been doing the last six weeks? Um, what would you tell them? Well, I've been going to this uh, dinner at this church. I found out God's been trying to get a hold of me for years, and uh, I just haven't picked up the phone. Um, yeah, maybe. So the bad news may be that you haven't answered yet. But the good news is he's like a robocaller. He just keeps calling uh, and some, so with God, maybe S-P-A-M is actually G-O-D. You know, he will continue to pursue. He is persistent. I'm so glad, so grateful that he is persistent. So, you know, it, what's interesting, too, is that even God's name speaks communication. Here's, here's the Gospel of John, the first verse in the first chapter of, of, of uh, John, the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, is that interesting that John uses this terminology? When you think of the word, word, what do words do? Words communicate. I mean, Jesus was the explanation of God come to earth. He was the communication of God come to us to rescue us from ourselves and from our sins. God spoke in Genesis 1. He spoke in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke and creation happened. Well, through Jesus Christ, the word, God speaks redemption and he speaks recreation. And then in John 17, 3, right before Jesus is going to the cross... Jesus says this, this is eternal life. This is eternal life. You want to know what eternal life is? Eternal life is not a thing. Eternal life is not some inanimate object. Eternal life 
is receiving the life of God, who's eternal. God's eternal. So if you get eternal life, God gives us his life when he places us into Christ. We receive his life. This is eternal life that you know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. How do you get to know someone? I think we know that. But this is eternal life that you, you see that word there? That you know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he sent. Eternal life is not about getting something. That's one thing that, that's a religious way of thinking. Getting something and then trying to hold on to it by being good enough so that they don't take it from you and, and you keep it. Um, but eternal life, the Bible tells me, eternal life is knowing and receiving someone. It's receiving and then knowing and knowing more someone. I mean, how again do we cut to know anybody unless we spend time with them? It's relationship. You know, through the years, I've, I've, when, there's, when this room is full, I will pick out some unlucky couple. They look like they've been married for a few years and just ask them a few questions. And I'll ask, typically, I ask the husband because it's funnier to ask the husband than it is to ask the wife because the husband always makes a bigger fool of himself than the wife does. Um, so it's really funny. But I'll, I'll, I'll spare you that. But just to tell you, um, in terms of like, let me just, I'll play the bully. But Annette and I, We've been married for 42 years. But if you were to ask me the question, how much did you, how, how well did you know Annette 50 years ago? I'd say, well, I didn't, I didn't know her at all. Well, how much did you know her 46 years ago? Well, I'd just gotten to meet her. Well, how about 44 years ago? Well, I, I got to know her a little more. And, well, the more you knew her, was it the more you trusted her? I said, well, yeah. Well, why did you trust her the more you knew her? Because I said, well, the more I spent time with her, the more I got to know her, and I found that she was trustworthy. Well, the more you knew her, the more you trusted her. Did then this love thing start to happen with you? And I said, well, I think the love thing actually started before I, the moment I laid eyes on her, but maybe that was another four-letter word. I'm not sure, but I'll let you think about that. So, um, so the more I knew her, the more I, <laughs> the more I trusted her, the more I trusted her, the more I loved her. And then the more I loved her, the more I wanted to serve her. See, we spent time together and I trusted her more. And the more I trusted her and got to know her, the more I loved her. And then out of that expression of love, I wanted to serve her. I wasn't serving her because I hope she won't leave. I hope she'll think well of me. It, was, it just became an overflow of, of uh, love. And the more I served her, the more in seeing her response, the more I knew her. And the more in, and I knew her, the more I trusted her, the more I loved her, the more I served her. And this thing just began to snowball to, you know, we're, here we are 42 years later. And I don't think I loved her 42 years ago when I said I do to her the way I love her today. I don't think I knew what love was. And so in that, we need to see that is the way God works because God wants us to see that intimacy of communication and just exactly what that means. The more time we spend, the more we know him. Now, unfortunately, that doesn't happen in, in every situation of marriage. Um, this, this couple, they look really happy. Um, 
Well, this couple was married for about 60 years. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a tragic story. Um, but they, for their 60th anniversary, they decided to go to Jerusalem. And while they were on, in Jerusalem, the, the saddest thing happened. The wife passed away. It was really sad. Um, and so the undertaker came to, um, to take care of the arrangements. And um, he said to the, the widower, he said, Sir, now, um, we could have your wife shipped back to the United States. Um, or we can just bury her here in, in Jerusalem. But to ship her back to the United States, it's going to cost you $10,000. But, you know, we can bury her here in Jerusalem, which would be wonderful, for only about $300, $400. And he thought about it, and he said, you know, I, I, no, I think I'm just, just going to go ahead and, and take her back to the U.S., I said, sir, why would you do that? I mean, it's, it's $10,000. That's got to be a lot of money. I mean, here's $400. I mean, this is one of those precious, holy places on the planet. And he said to them, he said, well, you know, um, a long time ago, a man died here. And then three days later, he rose from the grave. I just can't take that chance. So, not, not, not all, not all relationships and that well, but, see, but if you think about this, last, last, last week or two weeks ago, I can't remember now, two weeks ago, we talked about a relationship with Jesus being similar to saying I do. Remember I told you I could believe all the right things about Annette and never say I do. I could stand there with the minister on her wedding day. And, and he says to me, Frank, do you take Annette as your wife? And I say, well, she's gorgeous. Well, but Frank, do you take Annette? Well, she's a great cook. Frank, do you take Annette? Your dad's rich. You know, all those things. Um, and never say, I do. I can believe all the right things about her. See, and unfortunately, that's where religion leaves us mostly, believing the right things about, but never saying, I do, and never really quite understanding what it means to say, I do. Well, I do means... I'm committing all that I am to you. And what happens at every marriage, you understand this, at every marriage, every wedding, there rather is a funeral. You do know that, don't you? I mean, not because you feel like you just died, but at every wedding is a funeral because you die, the man dies to singleness, the woman dies to singleness, and you become alive to being one. Now, in, similar, in a similar way, when we come out of Adam and we're placed into Christ, we die to our separation, our singleness from God, and we become alive to our relationship with him. And the picture that God gives of marriage is the picture he gives us of relationship with him. That's the closest picture to relationship that God gives us. And so that's what God wants us to see. So but here's what happens. The moment Annette and I said, I do, and the minister pronounces this man and wife, and we go out the back of the church or the front of the church, and people are throwing, you know, bird seed because we don't want to have rice anymore. I think that's economic, environmentally not good. But we bird seed, and that, but instead of there being just one 
limousine. There are two limousines there. The two limousines are facing contrary to one another. One's facing this way, the other's facing this way. Annette gets into one limousine. I get into the other limousine, and we pop our heads up out of the, out of the moonroof. And as the limousines go away from one another, we're just saying, wasn't that a great experience? Wasn't that wonderful? Maybe, you know, maybe we can look at pictures or something one day and remember this. Nobody does that. Why? Is because I do is just the beginning. It's just the beginning of what should be the more I know you, the more I trust you, the more I trust you, the more I love you, the more I love you, the more I serve you, the more I know you. And it becomes the more time I spend with him, the way, the more I get to know him. We know that on a natural plane. And God says, it's similar to that, but better, but better than that. The end of something. Being in Christ is the end of being in Adam. And it is the beginning of something immensely new, brand new. But remember this. The day I said Annette, said I do to Annette, and she said I do to me, we were both married for one day. August 26th, 1978, we're married for one day. But we are no less married today than we were then, right? How, how married were we on August 26th, 1978? Totally married. Are we any more married today? No, we're still totally married. But then I had one day of experience married, and 21 years of experience single. And so what happens? You begin to grow. And you take some goofy steps along the way. But you begin to grow as a married, fully married person. And the more time you spend married, and the more time you spend that time well, the more you know them, the more you love, trust them, the more you love, and the more you Serve, And that's what prayer is. It is communication in multiple levels. Now, how do we pray? Well, there's a model that Jesus gave us of prayer, um, which may be difficult for some. But again, it's like it's like the closed door, you know, the room and the closed door. He's not saying that, that you have to find a room and a door. Uh, he's just saying. This is intimate. That doesn't mean you don't ever pray in public. Not that. But the best times with God can be those intimate times. Here's what, here's what, Jesus, what, what uh, Mark tells us that Jesus did. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Why did he get up early? Well, we know why he got up early. If you've read any, I mean, Jesus is constantly being barraged with people all the time. Jesus, heal me, Jesus, heal me, Jesus, heal me. Here come the Pharisees. You've got you know, you to deal with the Pharisees and the religious leaders and all that. Here comes this request. Here comes that request. But Jesus knew that the strength for the day was going to come out of that, that time of being with his father. There was nothing more special, nothing more consuming to him than being with his father. That sounds so weird to us Americans. What a waste of time. Got to be productive every moment of, every, of the day. But the way to be most productive, according to the scripture, according to Jesus, according to the Bible, is when it may look like you're being least productive. But that's what prayer is all about. 
So why pray? Well, there's plenty of reasons to pray. Uh, and we talked about those rewards. But again, I want us to not see, and I need myself to remind myself of this as I'm telling you this. I want to not look at answers to temporary prayers as the answer. I want to see as my time with God, yes, thank you for temporary answers to prayer. But thank you that I've gotten to know you better through this time. This is what Jesus said and recorded in John chapter 16. He says, until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. He's not saying ask and you will receive so that you receive it. He says, ask so you that receive so that in knowing me more, I'm giving you a joy that nothing on this planet can give you. And what is the character of Christ? Love, which is consisting of joy. So yes, he wants, and in a moment we're going to talk about this a little bit more. He wants to give us things, but these things are for the purpose of our really experiencing what and who we need more than anything else, himself. Then Paul writes to the Philippians, there's a lot of words here. He says, this is the church in Philippi. Paul is writing to those who are in Christ. He says, don't be anxious or full of care about anything, but in everything, by praying, communicating to God, and asking God, petitioning, with thanksgiving. So God, Paul is saying, hey, thank God even before you see it. Present your request to God and the peace of God. Look at this which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, hey, ask, be thankful, present your request. He says, and this is what's going to happen. As if this was the most important thing. He doesn't say, and God will answer your prayer. Not that he won't, but this is, Paul's going directly to the heart of the thing which is most important. The peace of God. I like to say too, and the God of peace, which, who, passes all understanding. Now get this picture. Will guard your hearts, your emotions. Will guard your mind, your intellect, your thinking in Christ Jesus. The peace of God that passes natural ability that passes understanding, will guard your heart, will guard your mind. That doesn't mean we're never going to have anxious times, heartbreakingly sad times. But this God says, I will bolster you. The more you know me, you, the more you will know that I am a God of joy and that I am a God of peace, even in the midst of a world where Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation." You will have difficulties. You will have trials. He says, but here's the good news. I have overcome the world and I have placed you in me. I placed you in me. And the few years you're on this planet, you will experience me. Okay. Does God always answer prayer? He does. He does say yes. He does. Yes. Answer prayer. He's, he says not. No, not now. No. He says no. Uh, he says, I've got something better for you. He says, you've got to be out of your mind if you think I'm going to answer that prayer. He has, but he always answers prayer. 
This is what John Stott said. I think this is a great statement by John Stott. Stott said this. He says, if God says no to our prayers, the requests are either not good in themselves or not good for us or for others directly or indirectly, immediately or ultimately. So here's the thing that I have to get across to me. And God, rather, God has to get across to me. He understands things that I don't. He sees things and knows things that I don't. He knows tomorrow. He's already been in your and my tomorrow. And he knows what to do with what is going on. I don't. I just don't. And for that, I have to relinquish my throne of thinking I'm being God and step out of the way and let him sit on the throne of my life and realize that he knows what is best, even though it may not make a stitch of sense to me. So if he says no, the request is either not good in itself in themselves or not good for us and others directly, indirectly, immediately, or ultimately. But I think this is an, an interesting point here. You know, maybe you've seen the bumper sticker, prayer changes things. Um, prayer may or may not change things. But prayer that looks for God and his will will always change the one that is praying. Prayer that looks first to God and his will will always change the one who is praying. And here's the thing. God may have orchestrated the circumstances for that very reason to reveal and to cause me to cry out to God to, for him to reveal more of himself to me in the midst of these circumstances. And, you know, I, tonight as we're, you know, when I shut up here in a minute, just, you know, let's talk about some of those things, those answered prayers. Maybe those prayers that God said no to. Maybe it's prayers that didn't make a whole lot of sense for years, and all of a sudden you're beginning to see them. Um, <laughs> it was Jack Taylor, uh, just a dear pastor out of Dallas. He says, I believe I'm more grateful for the prayers God didn't answer yes to than I am for the ones he did. Had he answered them, I'd have been ruined. Which is an interesting thought. You don't hear a lot of people saying, thank you, God, for not answering that prayer. <laughs> I bet we've got a bunch of those. You know, that guy, thank you, God, that I did not marry, that guy. Um, but, you know, a really cool uh, a way to pray, and this is one of my most f uh, fun ways to pray, is to pray Scripture back to God. Now, I want to take us to a Scripture that we're familiar with. Um, I think I should have a page number for this for you real quick. You're going to recognize the, the Scripture the moment you see it. It's uh, page 506. So if you have a Bible... Just turn to page 506. Uh, it's the 23rd Psalm, and we're familiar with the 23rd Psalm. It's always, seems like it makes it into most every funeral, which I, I argue it's too late to read Psalm 23 when you're dead. Enjoy Psalm 23 while you're alive. It really is, it's really good. So this is the way we read the, the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're familiar with those words. But again, here's just a taste of how we can do that a little bit differently and make this so much more intimate. And the Psalms, which are songs and prayers, are just loaded, 150 Psalms and songs that are just loaded prayers to God for us just to find where we are. And these Psalms will lead us to be able to directly talk to God. So let me just take us back to the first verse of Psalm 23. And I'm going to pray this to God as opposed to read it. Lord, you are my shepherd. Because you are my shepherd, you protect me and I, and I have no reason to want. You provide for me. Lord, thank you that you don't lead me into tumultuous waters, but you let me, let me lie down in green pastures where there's something for me to eat and a place to abide and and the waters are still lord thank you that you've restored my my soul my emotions my my thinking my choosing lord thank you that you have led my life in paths of righteousness thank you god and you've done that to show how great you are lord even when i walk through fearful times uncertain times but I have no need to fear evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they, they give me comfort. You direct me. You protect me. Lord, you even prepare a place of peace, a table for me to eat. Even when my enemies are surrounding me, I can still know that you are with me and providing for me. God, you, you anoint my head with oil. You... You show me how much you love me and care for me. My cup overflows. Lord, surely you who are goodness and you who are mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I thank you that I will be with you forever and that you'll never leave me. See, a God loves when we pray back to him what he gave us to pray to him. And scriptures like this are so beautiful to do that very thing. Let me just take you to Psalm 8. Again, we could go over and over, and I'll just give you a little taste of this. And at your table tonight, we'll have a couple more. I need to, need to hurry along here. Um, but Psalm 8 is on page um, 497. And there's some psalms that are just directly to God. You don't have to... Uh, work on it yourself by changing the, the, the personal pronoun or any of that. Here's, here's David writing, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouths of babes and infants. You've established strength in the midst of your foes still the, to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What, what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you would care for him. Now here, see Jesus in this, this next verse. Yet you have made him, remember the title for Jesus he would call himself, son of man? 
Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, all beasts of the field, birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Oh, Lord, my Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And you could again, you can you can work with that. Say how majestic is your name and how majestic are you who have made your house in me. And it's just so rich to pray God's word back to him. Prayer's not just about asking God for stuff. It is asking God for God. And I knew nothing of that. Nothing of that. And the more I know him, the more I want to ask God for God. Not for stuff. Not that I don't ask him for stuff. Don't let me mislead you. <laughs> um, but I do. But you know, one of the prayers that um, is the most known prayer, maybe the most known prayer, if I were to ask you, most known prayer in Scripture, what would it be? Our Father. Right? I mean, that's... So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13, the, the, the disciples of Jesus said, uh, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And this is what Jesus said. He said, when you pray, pray like this, or he said, pray this way. Now, when he taught them this, this prayer, he did not intend for them or for us to pray a mindless mantra as fast as we could, as many times as we could, until thankfully we were done. But if we possibly could look at this scripture tonight a little bit differently, this prayer a little bit differently... It's maybe looking at this prayer as an outline. Again, this is going to be maybe kind of new. It was certainly new for me. as something of an outline, a table of contents of prayer, where you and I get to write the contents of the chapters. The Our Father then becomes not just a prayer, but it becomes a guide to prayer. And the more we get to know the scripture, the more fun this becomes. And the, more long it, and the longer it takes to pray the Our Father once. <laughs> So let's just look at this, what we call the Lord's Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer, the Our Father, as a table of contents. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. First statement, Father. Okay. Somebody has to be your dad for him to be your father. And according to the Bible, I have to be in Christ for God to truly be my father. So there's so much scripture just right there. And then hallowed, okay, I just think of Halloween every time I think of that word. But hallowed, holy is your name. Holy, and just to, to stop then and just to think about that. Think about God being father. Think about him being holy. Your name is holy, God. You are holy. I am not holy. I acknowledge that you're perfect and holy in all your ways. And then maybe you could start looking in the Bible to find where are some holy scriptures. And we can talk a little bit more about that. Chapter 2, your kingdom come. Okay, Surrendering control of my life to him. Your kingdom come in me. Your rule, your ownership come in me. You know, I want to declare the authority of you in me. Your kingdom come into my life. Come as 
everywhere possible, as often as possible, as soon as possible. Come and take over a life that I'm just oftentimes just progressively realizing I am not in control of and not doing such a great job with. Your will be done in me as it is in heaven. See, placing God's will above mine in all things is what Jesus is telling us to pray here. Your will be done on earth in me as it is in heaven. Okay, Lord, in my relationship with my wife, in Alpha, in my business, uh, just all of that so that I embrace the one who has come into me to give me his life and direction. Give us this day our daily bread. Yes, it's a good thing to pray for our daily needs. God wants us to. Our Father wants us to. He desires us to come to Him dependent in every way on Him. Here's a tough one. This is really tough. I don't know that we really pay much attention to this. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Okay. How many of you want to be forgiven the way you forgive others? Ah, I don't think so. There's some people I just have no interest in forgiving whatsoever. Forgive us as we forgive others. I think this is a catch right here. This is a little trick point that Jesus puts in here to bring us back to the point where we realize, I can't do that. I can't do that. You know, there was a a judgment today. Obviously, we heard about the verdict in the George Floyd case. Um, and maybe people are, are, are glad that justice seems to have been met. But has forgiveness been given? I, again, I can't speak to that. I don't know. But I'm trying to put myself in the position of that family. And I just don't know. Because I cannot forgive the way God forgave. I cannot forgive the way God forgives. And what does this do but just drive me back to my knees to say, I cannot do this without you who is there on this planet that I am harboring ill will toward I just ask you just um, well I'm I'm, I'm not going to do that for the sake of time nothing anyone could ever do to me is worse than what I did you did to Jesus and God forgave us completely and then And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or the evil one, some translations are. You know, you could say, Lord, thank you that you do not lead me into into temptation. But unfortunately, often enough, I lead myself there and fall into a big fat trap that the devil, and we'll talk about that next week. Next week, we're in session 12, how can I resist evil? Fascinating topic for us to talk about evil in the world I fall into that big trap that he has laid for me. Show me and make me aware of this. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. So when should we pray? We pray all the time. Look at, here's what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in every circumstance. For this is the will of God concerning you who are in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. Okay. Pray without ceasing. How, on the, how in the world do I pray without ceasing? How can I get anything done if I'm praying without ceasing? This is how. 
Because prayer, more than words, is an attitude of the heart. So God sees my prayer in the way in which I interact with Annette. God sees my prayer in the way in which I do my taxes. God sees my prayer in the way I interact with people on the road as I'm driving. That all of life is a communication with God. I'm either communicating that, yes, I am in Christ, or I'm not communicating that way even if I am in Christ. You see, all of life God sees. He does see you when you're sleeping, and he does know all of those things. He knows when you're awake. He knows all those things. Life before God is a prayer. It's 24-7, 365 prayer to God. So prayer is not just about my hitting the knees on Sunday morning or whenever. Prayer is constantly going up to God in the way in which I respond to him and respond to others. Pray without ceasing. It's being with him always. But you know, the greatest, most important prayer, the greatest and most important prayer is the prayer of surrendering. You will never pray a more important prayer than Jesus, come into my life. I believe what you did on the cross for me. I ask you to come in, forgive me all of my sins, take me out of Adam and put me into Christ. Save me, rescue me, be my Lord and Savior from this day forward. And maybe you've considered, maybe you haven't, I don't know. But if you could consider that Alpha may be the connection, the, the phone line that God has chosen to communicate with you, his love and his desire for you to know him, for you to get in the wheelbarrow, to say, I do, to receive the gift. Um, if so... I could not encourage you more than to take him up on his offer to say, I do, to receive the gift, to get in the wheelbarrow. Okay, I'm going to stop. Remember, um, if you will, if you can come, May 7th and May 8th will be Friday night and Saturday morning, the Alpha weekend. We would love for you to come and be a part of that. Um, registration forms are at, the, uh, at your tables and then, as I said, next week we're in session 12, How Can I Resist Evil? I want to thank you guys again for being here tonight. Thanks for watching via live stream. And we're going to take a quick break, and we hope to see you next week. Thank you.